tonight, another jumbo interest rate hike by the Fed. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. What does it mean to you? Well, for the fourth straight time, yes, the Fed has raised interest rates by three quarters of a point. It's a big deal, which is why we want to bring in Allworth's chief investment officer, Andy Stout. The heavy hitters, not just on Monday, he comes in to make sense of this. Okay, I want to start with the quote from Fed Chair Jerome Powell uh, after the announcement of this rate hike today. Andy, he said, we've got some ground left to cover and cover it we will. I feel like that's not what markets wanted to hear. No, it, it really wasn't. If you look at the statement from the Federal Reserve, which is the press release, basically, when they talk about the raising rates, some of the information in there and the text in there suggested the Federal Reserve might be a little bit less aggressive in the future uh, yeah. when it comes to rate hikes. And markets love that. You saw the Dow shoot up, you know, three, almost 400 points. Uh, now, you know, once Powell started talking, he came off as a little bit more aggressive than what the statement said. And to your point where he was talking about the level of where we need to get to and we might not be there yet, or we definitely aren't there yet, uh, you know, that that pulled the uh, the optimism out of the markets. It's crazy. I mean, when you say pulled the optimism out of the markets, what you meant was it went from green to red in a millisecond based on his comments. I mean, you and I have talked for, for many years on the show about the power of the Fed chair's words case in point today yeah and there was a few specific things that jumped out to me uh one of the main ones which this is where we we call these hawkish statements means that they're really concerned about fighting inflation and they're they're going to just keep raising rates aggressively so one of the more hawkish things that he said was that it was very premature to think about pausing that's when one of those instances amy where you saw marcus just go from one level to another level and that going level was a lower level obviously uh, because we're not even thinking about pausing at this point you know what's interesting to me andy is i think it was just what a week a week and a half ago maybe two weeks ago at the most when you had the fed governor from san francisco i believe right mary daly saying hey i think we can look at the fact that we've maybe tightened as much as we need to at least these jumbo rate hikes maybe this is the last one in november and then we're going to start to kind of really sort of loosen policy from there what jerome powell at least what i heard from him today was sort of the opposite of that which was kind of this continued aggressive stance well in terms of jumbo rate hikes so that's where we're talking about these three quarter of a point rate hikes where the fed has done essentially four in a row now if you look at where the fed funds rate which is the interest rate that banks can lend to each other on an overnight basis that's at now at 3.75 percent to four percent it's in that target range i know people don't really borrow at the fed funds rate but the average person maybe you borrow at prime which is the fed funds rate plus three percentage points so you feel that pain when the Fed raises rates. So when we look at these jumbo rate hikes of three quarters of a point, you know, Powell did say something uh, in his press conference that alluded to the, the, the fact that maybe it won't be as another one as big, uh, where he, he did say it's possible that you could see uh, a slower hikes maybe at the next meeting or smaller hikes, excuse me, maybe at the next meeting or the, the meeting after that. And if you look at where the market's pricing in, in terms of the, the size of these rate hikes, uh, right now, the market's pricing in essentially a 70% chance of a half point hike and a 30% chance of a three-quarter point rate hike. So that's where the market's pricing right now. They're expecting uh, the Fed to bring that in a little bit to a half-point hike. So 
still bigger than normal, but not the a 75 uh, basis point hike as of right now. But you know what, Amy? A lot can change between now and the when the Fed next meet on uh, meets on December 14th. Like, what will the inflation numbers come in at? Well, and he mentioned, too, like uh, that he wanted to see some tightening or some softening. Uh, and he said that signs of softening just aren't obvious to me at this point. What do you think it takes for Jerome Powell to say, OK, this is working? Well, you know, there, there's a few things he didn't mention there. He's seeing some effects on demand, but it hasn't really, you know, uh, developed into effects on inflation. And when you look at the Fed's statement itself, the reason I, I thought it was originally the, the written statement, the press release was, you know, less aggressive. You know, there was a, a statement in there where it said the committee will take uh, into effect uh, the cumulative tightening of monetary policy. So they're going to be thinking about a lot of the rates they've already done. They're acknowledging that they've done a lot of rates. They also take into consideration the lags in which economic uh, or in which these rates affect uh, inflation. So they are admitting that everything they've done yet will affect inflation, but because it affects the inflation on a delay, uh, they don't know what the ultimate impact will be. So when you see uh, combinations like that, where they talk about how much they've already tightened in the lags, you know that certainly suggests that the Fed believes they're getting a little bit more closer to the end uh, than what you know markets were originally thinking. And that's why you saw the, the big rally following uh, the press release. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, joined by Andy Stout as we make sense of the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank. Big announcement today, three quarters of a point to so another jumbo rate hike, um, as well as the markets digesting what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said in the wake of that. I think it's interesting, Andy, that he kind of went rogue, right? The, the press release was written. I mean, as we know, we've watched these things many times. They're usually super buttoned up. Comments usually follow the script. Why do you think he felt it was important to kind of go off script a bit today? Well, when you think about what the Fed is ultimately trying to do, I don't know if he's necessarily going off script, but they do try to be you know, relatively transparent. Mm-hmm. And when the Fed has talked in the past, you know, you, you kind of knew where, where Jerome Powell stood on things. I mean, they've been quite wrong in the past. I mean, it was just about this time last year when we were talking about transitory inflation, uh, if you remember that. Yeah, it's actually and crazy now, to think about that, but you're right, it was. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the Fed, they're doing their best. They may not always you know do a perfect job. They certainly don't. I don't think uh, any central bank necessarily does. But in terms of you know going rogue, I don't know if he's necessarily going rogue. I think they're just trying to be transparent and setting market expectations properly. Because if they don't set market expectations to be positioned for tightening in the future, uh, then what can happen is it actually can have a the the opposite effect of what they want to happen so that could actually cause inflation to maybe become a little bit more entrenched than it already has you know one of the other statements that really stuck out to me amy uh when uh jerome powell on the hawkish side of things were more aggressive on rate hikes he said the ultimate level of rate hikes will be higher than what they previously expected Mm, yes and that actually i think was when markets started to go "Ah," the other direction yeah, so I was um, I've been watching the the press release and and writing down some notes as I go, and that was the first one where I put a star by it. He's like, oh, that's a that's a hawkish one. I got a couple more stars after that on these statements, but that was the first one that jumped out. And then I went to uh, you know just to confirm, you know, where did the Fed think rates would be before? Like, where do they see 
interest rates hikes, interest rate hikes ending. And that's when you look at what's called the dot plot, which mm -hmm. is the every Fed member does their own voting in non voting members, by the way, does their own projection on where the Fed funds rate will be uh, in the longer term and where they had them at the end of 2023, at least the median dot was between 4.5% uh, uh, and 4.75%. So based on where we're at today, that would suggest uh, rate hikes of another 0.75% to at least get to that level. So now Jerome Powell is saying rates will need to get above that level. So we're looking at more than you know a three-quarter point rate hike uh, collectively at the next few meetings. I want to get your take on a comment uh, that Jerome Powell made today. He said... Um, he said, I prefer an over-tightening of the economy to failing to tighten enough. Let's talk about what he means by that, because that's a fairly hawkish comment as well. Yeah, he doesn't want to make the same mistake that the Fed made in the late 1970s when inflation was creeping higher and higher and higher. Then the economy started to slow down, so they cut rates, and there was some initial indication that inflation was coming down, but it ended up that they cut rates way too soon. And then we were left with the double recession in the early 1980s uh, combined with a hyperinflationary environment. That's probably one of the Fed's, Fed's biggest failures of all time, and that's what Jerome Powell does not want a repeat of. So his biggest concern is making sure that the Fed doesn't make the same mistake twice. Really quickly, Andy, what's the takeaway for investors from today and moving forward? Well, today is a noisy day. There will be some more noisy days when it comes to uh, the market. There's going to be some more volatility until all this uncertainty plays out. But you know, if you don't need money right away and you got five, ten years on your side, you know, staying invested, staying calm will probably be the uh, your best way to enjoy financial peace of mind. I like that noisy day, right? Five years from now, you probably will not remember this particularly noisy day in the market. Here's the all worth advice. Will the Fed pivot and maybe do a smaller rate hike next month? If so, it could signal that it believes its hikes are finally impacting inflation. We will see as the data continues to come and we will certainly follow this for you. So how much cash did you have on hand if a recession happens? And does your HSA have an investment option? Should it be in stocks? These are questions we're going to answer next in our Ask the Advisor segment. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovec. If you can't listen to our show every night, well, you can still get our daily podcast. Listen the following morning on your way to work or at the gym, whenever it works for you. And if you think maybe your friends could use a little money help as well, spread the word. Search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Straight ahead at 643, why you need to be reviewing the rules for capital gains. What you need to know to potentially save yourself some money on taxes before the end of the year. We're going to talk about that next. Okay, so I want to remind everyone, we're not red, we're not blue, we're green. Uh, but there is a recent poll out that caught our attention, which asked people, uh, would you take a check from the federal government for essentially stimulus to combat inflation while prices are so high? <laughs> and 63% said, sure, 
Give uh, me that check. That sounds like a great idea. A- Amy, this drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> and by the way, thanks for Andy Stout for taking over. So uh, uh, eventually I got to the studio. So this is glad yeah, you're here. You, glad you, you could you, join you us. You had the smart person to start the show <laughs> off. And, and that's that's important. With we the always news appreciate today. Andy's analysis. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, no, I mean, this just drives me nuts in so many different ways. I, I mean, are, are we not teaching our children anything about economics? I, I, how was this question even phrased? Was it, would you like free money? I, yes. You know, because what what we're looking at is basically stimulus, just uh, checks being given to people because things cost more, okay, to combat inflation. But didn't that, isn't that what got us in the in this place in the first place? That you is know? exactly. Uh, we a did, huge we did, contributor to we what did got a us lot, here. Yeah, we did a lot of stimulus, and and you know the cause of inflation primarily is too many dollars chasing too few goods, and and this is adding even more dollars to to the equation. So I, I get why people would say, sure, I'll take the money, but this is not the answer, and a lot of states are doing this. Well, they say they'll take the money, but I don't think there is the full understanding of of the total repercussion yeah. of this, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm paying more for everything right now. Yes, it's harder for me to stretch my budget when the grocery bills and the energy bills and the Duke bill and, and all of those things are coming in. So I think on the face of it, yeah, a lot of people would say, hand out stretched, I'll take that check, I'll take that stimulus money, not understanding <laughs> that really what it does is it just perpetuates the cycle that we're giving the money out for, even in the first place. We saw Liz Truss, right? She was prime minister of, of Great of, of, um For about Great half Britain. a day. I yeah, think. literally yeah. for like yeah. as long as it takes a head of lettuce to rot. That's how long she lasted. <laughs> this was part of her plan, right? Yeah. Europe was or England was dealing with the same issue that we are as far as inflation, honestly, to the nth degree, maybe that we're more of a problem with, with yes. energy. Yeah. Yes. And, and as a result, her plan was stimulus money. Yeah. And we questioned that on the show, just as we questioned this. We're not, this is not a political stance. Here. This is just explaining kind of economics 101, right? It, How this all works. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you what really worries me. I mean, not that we don't have enough bad things to talk about and and get depressed over, but um, treasury bills. Treasury bills uh, are yielding right now about 4.4%. Treasury bills are how we fund the national debt. That's where the money comes from. Investors buy treasury bills, and that pays for the debt. Um, A year ago, they were paying about 1%. I, I mean, we literally are looking at four times the interest payments on the same amount of debt. So, you know, I worry a lot about the national debt in this country and how much of our tax dollars are going to pay for more and more interest payments as interest rates rise. And I haven't seen this talked about much. So, you know, giving out additional money to increase the national debt, I don't think is a really good idea, regardless of your political persuasion. But as you mentioned, it's happening. 19 states, right, already yeah. giving out money in Kentucky. The Senate actually approved a billion-dollar rebate for taxpayers, but the state legislature has adjourned for the year. It's likely that's probably not going to happen. Indiana, though, as part of the state's automatic taxpayer refund law, yeah. uh, there's some money going out, rebates of $125 and $250, depending on if you're single or household. Yeah. Uh, states are doing this. And again, at the surface, I think it seems like it makes a lot of sense. But when you look dig deeper, not so much. Well, here's the difference. States, states, a lot of states at least are running 
um, they're running surpluses. They've got extra money, and most states have budget uh, uh, balanced uh, in their cons- uh, balanced budgets. Easy for me to say in their constitution. Right. They so have they, to they, balance they the budget. They literally every have year. extra money. I, last time I checked, the federal government does not have not extra so money, and yet people are calling for this being a federal program. I, I hope it doesn't go any further. It's not actually a proposal in Congress. This is just something that people have cooked up, saying, "Would you like this?" But I, I you know, politicians listen to this kind of stuff, and they they do tend to want to do. What keeps their people happy? And, you know, free money is always going to keep people happy. I just hope they keep their wits about them and don't take this any further. If we stopped you and said, do you have a question about money? Most people would say, yeah, here's what it is. You can email us you, us yours at asksimplymoney at allworthfinancial.com. That's ask an advisor, asksimplymoney at allworthfinancial.com. Our first question comes from Sarah, who lives in Montgomery. I have an HSA, great, huge, huge fan of a health savings account. My plan is to act like it doesn't even exist. Watch it grow as I pay for my medical expenses on my own. Since it does have an investment option, should I just invest 100% in stocks and, and let it ride? Um, I'm wondering if Sarah in Montgomery is not really Amy in Northern <laughs> Kentucky. This is Sarah right and I alley. might have talked at some point. <laughs> well, you know why this is timely is a lot of companies are doing their open enrollments for benefits yes, for next year. And, and mm-hmm. you know, this is a question. A lot of people don't understand what a health savings account is, HSA. And I'll tell you what, um, they are not bad deals. You're You're a big fan of these, aren't you? Yeah, so obviously, I hopefully Sarah has talked through with her family whether it makes sense to have a high deductible health care plan, right? Because you can't have an HSA unless yeah. that is yep. the plan that you have. But if you do, uh, and you have a substantial emergency fund set aside where you can pay uh, those those doctor bills, hospital bills, any medical bills as as they come up, you can afford the full deductible. I think exactly what Sarah is doing makes a lot of sense. She's putting money aside, investing that money to grow for retirement. I can't. The, what's the latest stat? Three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the average couple retiring oh, it's this more than year. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of what you'll have to pay in, in healthcare yeah. expenses over the course of your retirement. So it makes a lot of sense to use an HSA for this reason. Next question comes from John in Fort Wright. I've heard that I should increase the amount of cash I have on hand in case a recession happens. How do I determine how much I need? Is there a formula? Um, kind of, but here's the issue. Uh, you know you better than I know you, John. And, uh, you know, everybody's got their own amount of, you know, how, how much do I need in order to sleep at night? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. I like three to six months of living expenses to be put in an emergency fund. Yeah, it's just in the bank. It's not going to grow much. At least you're getting a little interest these days. I, you like a little bit more, don't you, than six I, months? I do, because I also yeah. think that during a recession, if you're worried about losing your job, it takes longer, right, during those times yeah. to, to get that job back. So we think dur- an emergency fund of three to six months during normal times might be just fine, but something that could last longer during a recession, just in case you do lose that job and it takes longer yeah. to get one, I would much prefer to have a little bit of room to breathe, yeah. right, and to sleep at night. So uh, any, I would say anywhere from three months to a year's worth of, of critical living expenses set aside. And I think you make a great point, know yourself. Right. Yeah. 
whatever you're comfortable with. I want to quickly get to Brett and Loveland. When you make a financial plan with someone, what's the life expectancy you use? So what should I use? Well, we tend to use 92 for men, 94 for women. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, I'm not going to make it that far. What if you do? I mean, we, you know, what if you don't have the bad luck yourself. to live a long time? Yeah. We don't want you running out of money. Um, but keep in mind, it's not just longevity in your family. Accidents happen when you get older. You never know, you know, what the future is going to be. I would rather I would rather plan on 92, 94 than 65 or 68 or something like that. So have you heard of the metaverse? This is a virtual world where people live, work, spend money, talk to others. This is considered kind of an evolution of the Internet. Thousands are going there. But with it comes some personal security concerns. We're going to talk about what the heck this is and what you need to know about it next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You may have heard of the metaverse, but here's my question. What is it exactly? How do you even go there or find it? Joining us tonight is our tech expert, Dave Hatter from Intrust IT, explaining what the metaverse is and what we all need to know about it. Literally, I have no idea. Is it like, can I go there now? Well, Amy, you could. Uh, it's, I think you might be underwhelmed. So, I mean, <laughs> okay. meta, metaverse is one of these, um, popular terms and it's been around for a while, but it's sort of caught on here recently because Facebook has been heavily pushing it. You may know that, uh, Mark Zuckerberg rebranded the company and it's now called meta mm -hmm. rather than Facebook. And Facebook is just one of the, the brands or properties of meta. So they're trying to, to play off this idea. And, you know, you may have heard the term metadata or meta applied to other things. Like with metadata, it's data about data, right? So metaverse, mm -hmm. that's the way I can describe it is think of an AI world or a virtual reality world. And I'll try to kind of explain the difference between some of these concepts because there's a lot of overlap and different people will explain it different ways. Um, but just think about an online world, maybe like a video game. I think most people might be able to relate to sort of open universe video games like um, SimCity or something like that, where there's mm -hmm. really no specific objective that you're trying to accomplish necessarily, or maybe Roblox or Minecraft for people who have younger kids that are into that mm. sort of thing. Okay. But it's an online world. And, you know, there's been lots of experts pontificating on this about how, you know, at some point we're all going to do everything in this online world. And you've got all these big tech players trying to race to kind of become the place because, you know, if Facebook has their metaverse and Apple has their metaverse and Microsoft has their metaverse, if I'm in the Microsoft metaverse, you know, how will I interact with you in the Facebook metaverse? Is that a thing? Would they want to, you know, allow them to connect somehow? I think in the long term, the answer is yes. But in the short term, you know, they're all kind of at odds with one another. So it's it's basically just a virtual world where you can go in there and interact with other people virtually. The, the big fundamental difference really now is you have augmented reality and virtual reality. I'm sure you've seen the goggles people wear. Sure. And, you know, through haptic devices and goggles and so forth that allow you to sort of sense being in this world, it's, you know, a much more realistic experience than it was if you're just looking at a flat screen playing a video game, if that makes sense. 
Okay, I, I I start. I mean, I do comprehend this whole like virtual reality, I, the gaming, right? I I get why yeah. that's cool, and you're, you feel like you're part of something, even though you're not really there. Very cool. I've heard of people saying it feels like you're on the roller coaster. You're really doing things that you're not doing. But I've also heard when talking about the universe or metaverse, um, I've seen articles about buying real estate there and interacting with it, like paying money to be part of something. And I guess that's what I don't understand like we all we have a real world still right like I, I what is it yes and you know you've touched on one of the things that i think is fascinating about it now if if you're familiar with the idea of nfts non-fungible tokens and, and nft art and so forth for a while last year or i guess it was earlier this year there was this big craze where you see celebrities paying ridiculous amounts of money for some digital art that they quote owned Yes. Right. You know, if I go out and take a picture of something, I mean, clearly there's copyright laws and things that prevent me uh, from just stealing your stuff. But, you know, once something's in digital format, it's pretty easy to copy. Right. But but through blockchain and some other stuff, you know, you could show that you had the original copy. And this thing really caught on for a while. It's kind of gone bust. Most of the people that bought into this have now lost lots of money uh, when they bought these things. And, it, you know, some pretty high profile celebrities. But yeah, the idea that you're going to go into the, quote, metaverse, unquote, and buy like a house and it's going to have value because other people want to buy that house, to me, is just laughable. Now, maybe yeah. maybe we'll get there at some point. I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie Ready Player One. I have it's not. sort of this dystopian world where everyone lives in this metaverse kind of place. And, you know, the real world is sort of this dystopian um, Orwellian nightmare. So people escape oh. into this online universe or metaverse this is a very rosy picture of the future my goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah if it, the, the book is great by the way especially if you're a child of the 80s it's got lots of 80s references pop ah. culture dungeons and dragons video games that kind of so you know being the nerd that i am i loved it so my question about the metaverse because you do read about it from time to time you see it in places people talking about it what does the average person need to know about it at this point in time, right? Like maybe not five years from now, obviously you don't have a crystal ball about what's going to happen here, but is there anything we need to know about it now? Should we be interacting with it in any way? Or is it just kind of this thing that tech companies are hoping we'll buy into, but people really aren't yet? You know, Amy, I'm not a great prognosticator. I'm often wrong in my predictions. Never. <laughs> so, You're so never just, wrong. just understand that going in. I mean, I think there are definite upsides for this kind of technology, particularly in the training space. You know, I think eventually education, as we know it today, stands to be completely upended by technology. Mm. Imagine if you could take all of the best instructors across the world and, you know, extract their knowledge into some sort of AI-based process, and then you could go to school, quote unquote, by throwing on some goggles and immersing yourself into like, imagine if you were trying to learn brain surgery and yeah. you could immerse yourself into a world where you had gloves that would allow you to feel what you're doing and mm -hmm. some kind of goggles on, so you're completely immersed in this world and you could essentially perform surgery in a you know VR, virtual reality, AI kind of model that would be about as realistic as doing it on like a cadaver or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we're not far from that. I think in a lot of training type contexts, you're trying to learn how to work on a machine or something, anything like that, where you need the tactile experience of doing it and muscle memory and all that. I think there's 
you know, we're, we're kind of there now with this technology when you see some of the more advanced stuff that's out mm -hmm. there. And even some of the games, like there's some pretty cool games. If you want to exercise, you can throw on some goggles, be a Jedi Knight, have a lightsaber, and then you just basically, you know, fight stuff. So you get your exercise in while you're playing the game as opposed to the old <laughs> style. I just sit on the couch and, yeah. you know, press some buttons. But, it, but in terms of like, we're all going to be in there and, you know, we're going to be buying properties and stuff. I think we're a long way away from that because I okay. don't think the average person really gets a whole lot of value out of it. I mean, it's kind of interesting, but for me, the novelty wears off quickly because it's really just kind of a video game at this point. And I, you know, I think a lot of the hype cycles that have gone on around it over the last year or so, Facebook has put billions into this, really have just sort of fallen on deaf ears at this point. So I wouldn't rule out that it will eventually someday become a much larger part of all of our life experiences. But unless you're in very specific industries um, where, again, you're, you're trying to learn, you know, specific types of skills or something, I just don't really think it's there yet. Dave, I want to very quickly get to whenever there's kind of a new frontier when it comes to tech, there are always scammers. So if someone is interested in figuring out what the metaverse is and in how to interact with it right now, any precautions that we need to know about at this point? Well, I think you ask a good question because, you know, once you're, quote, in the metaverse, unquote, you can guarantee there'll be scammers in there because there's scammers everywhere, right? And the scammers know all of this technology and the ability to connect with people all around the world is a great conduit for them to scam you out of whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, the, the best way to learn about this, frankly, is to go to reputable sources, places like Fortune Magazine or Wired Magazine or PC Magazine, you know, where they have editors who are researching this stuff and writing about it. They're talking to industry experts that work in it. That's the best way to kind of learn about what's out there and what's reputable. And then in terms of trying to experience it yourself, I, you know, from what I've seen, and I, I'm not an expert on this subject, but from what I've seen, probably Facebook has the most complete, quote, metaverse offering out there with their Oculus goggles and all that stuff. You know, you can go try these things out somewhere, maybe you know somebody that's got one, or you can buy this stuff. It's not that expensive, although I really just sort of pains my soul to ever give Facebook a plug <laughs> in, any, in any way. Yeah. Um, and, and try it out for yourself. I predict you will find it interesting, but underwhelming. And you'll be sorry you sprung for the goggles if you buy them yourself, because it's just not, there's just not that much there at this point, again, except in more specific sort of training oriented circumstances. Great perspective, but, as always, from Dave Hatter, our tech expert from Interest IT. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. We are officially in November, so we're talking not turkey, Christmas trees. Why? We will explain <laughs> why you need to be thinking about your own what? Christmas tree right now. There's actually Christmas music on the radio now. It makes me happy. I heard it this morning. I am not a Grinch, but I think everything in you good time. I was going through the you stations, and I was just outraged as I am on November 1st every year. It's not time for it yet, Sprovac. It's not time. It's always time. <laughs> One thing it is time for as we get closer and closer to the end of the year is tax planning. I think, Steve, it's easy for people to get confused. Tax preparation is that 
pain in the rear end thing that we have to do, yeah. right? Every uh, April 15th. Coming every yep. April in order to make sure our taxes are filed correctly. But tax planning usually happens all year long. And for a lot of people, it can make a huge difference. And if you haven't thought about it much yet, we would say uh, start thinking about it for the end of the year. And I think it's really important to understand capital gains, right? What they are how they work, and as an investor, how you can use capital gains to your advantage. Yeah, you don't have to be a CPA to have a basic understanding of capital gains. Capital gains are, are, it's just when you sell something that you bought at a lower price, that's a profit. A capital gain is just a profit. You gain money. You gain something. And if you held on to whatever it was that you sold for at least a year and one day, it's considered a capital gain as opposed to ordinary income and has a lower tax rate in all likelihood. G- give you an example. Let's just say you make over 83000 under a half a million bucks, uh, and you sold some stock at a profit sometime this year. Um, your capital gains tax rate, is assuming you held the stock for more than a year, is 15%. If you sold that stock in less than a year and had the same profit, you'd pay not 15%, you'll pay between probably 24 and 32 percent, almost double. You know, so capital gains are... And I think it's a great are, point. Yeah. Most of the time, your capital gains rate will be about half, yeah. loosely, of what your income tax rate will be. So understanding holding it for at least a year uh, makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about who this affects, right? If, you, if you've if you got a 401k you're putting money into, uh, you know, it's just growing. In, we're mm-hmm. not talking about buying and selling no. things within your 401k or, you know, investments or that you've set aside right. for retirement. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I mean, and I just went through this with someone yesterday. What, what do you mean you can't take losses inside an IRA? No, that's the whole point of tax deferral. It's awesome. Yes. You know, you'll get growth over time and pay tax on the backside when you take the money out of an IRA or, or a 401k. Um, but uh, no, if you have a taxable investment account, you just you know, open up a joint account, bought some Procter & Gamble, bought a mutual fund. By the way, this may be a bad surprise year. This may be one of those years where you, in January, get your capital gains report called a 1099, and and you may have had some capital gains this year, even though you may have lost money. That's going to wake a lot of people up in February. Yeah, yeah, that's not a lot of fun. (laughs) No, but let's talk about that a little bit, because if you do have capital gains this year, and that, again, is from selling something, actually realizing the gains, selling something at a profit. Well, as long as before the end of this year, if you have a loss and you sell something at a loss, you probably can match that loss against the gain. If you made $5,000 on the sale of stock, but you lost $5,000 on one of your bonds or bond mutual funds, and you sell that, they offset each other. You can match them against each other. And this is something that you would have to do before the end of the year. So, you know, one of the first points I want to make, Amy, is, you know, take a hard look at what your capital gains may be this year and consider taking, it's called tax loss harvesting, but consider taking losses to offset the gains. Talk to your tax advisor before you do anything, but you may want to at least start the thought process at this point. Well, and to your point, tax loss harvesting could be one of the very small slivers of a silver lining it's about that we have <laughs> in this year where yeah. so many investments are down, right? Yeah. How can you take it to your advantage? Well, obviously, you know, we would say if, if you've got money on the sidelines buying right now, you're buying stocks at, at a discount. They're on sale. Yeah. But the other advantage to things being down is if you have a gain and you match it with a loss, that 
removes, right, those taxes that you'd owe. Yeah. Uh, it, it can. It can offset. So lots to think through here. But I think the whole the whole point is to understand what your options are. Ask questions of your financial advisor, of your CPA when you're working with them, so that you can figure out ways to truly kind of take these things uh, or use these things to your advantage. No question. And, and, you know, more than a couple of people sold a home last year. Wow, it's worth what? Let's put it on the market and, you know, buy a condo, buy, move into a vacation home, something like that. Um, you may have some significant gains uh, if it was not a primary house. Um, yeah, it, it, it may be a lot of gains. I had somebody sell a rental property just a couple of weeks ago, and now he's dealing with, okay, I'm, I may have to declare a, a very large uh, capital gain. You can get into some fancy strategies, 1031 exchanges and things like that, depreciated assets. No reason to get into that on this show, but just one more lesson of talk to your accountant well before the end of the year. So if there is something you need to get done by December 31st, you've thought it out and you know exactly what the best advice is for your own situation. Here's the all-worth advice. Paying Uncle Sam, obviously unavoidable, but the more educated you are about things like capital gains taxes, the less, hopefully, you will have to shell out. All right, if you are looking for that perfect Christmas tree this holiday season, you got to get one now. Yep, that goes for artificial trees as well. We're going to tell you why next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. Wondering why we're playing Christmas music? There is a very good reason. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Mimi Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I know. I get it. This is the very beginning of November. You have not even thought about planning. You are for such your a Grinch. You hate Thanksgiving this. You hate meal this yet. coming this early. <laughs> I do. I think everything Amy in, the in Grinch. its season. Everything in its season. It's not hollow thanksmas. It's not Halloween, <laughs> Thanksgiving, Christmas all together. It is Halloween and then and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas. But we will get this warning out because we we love all of you and we want to make sure that you do have a very happy Christmas this year, a very merry holiday season. And so if you need to get a Christmas tree this year, if you do not already have an artificial one in your basement, if you need a new one or you have a live one, get it now. Except if you were to get a live Christmas tree right now, um, it will be dead before Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, it, it might be, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> you better water the heck out of that I, thing. Yeah, I, I I love live trees, and we got them for years. When the boys were young, that was basically the day after Thanksgiving. I we do would love the out. smell. The smell yeah. of a live tree in your home, nothing yeah. like it. By, by the way, don't store it outside for the first week before you bring it inside. Oh. I won't tell you about the spiders that apparently got into it while it was outside. Ooh. But I, I, I love a live tree, and, and there are plenty of places around Cincinnati where you can cut your own, and the prices are surprisingly pretty reasonable. We made a, a whole day out of it. But this year, remember that supply chain issue that kind of reared its ugly head over, you know, the early days of the, the pandemic? Uh, it's hitting artificial trees this year. So if you if you go artificial, you might not want to wait. Well, and I want to go back to the, the real trees, too, yeah. because uh, we've also fertilizer, right? The cost of so many supplies have gone up over the past year. Inflation's hitting everything. Fertilizer is costing more to these tree growers. Also, we talk about labor costs going up this year, right? People who are working and harvesting these trees. Uh, and so if you are buying a real tree, well, you better save a little extra this year. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned you can get some affordably. I have noticed over the past several yeah. years, like, gosh, remember what a live tree used to 
to be. Like, I, there are some places that are selling them, you know, north of a hundred bucks. For oh, a, easy. For a, a, you know, real if tree. If you get a bald and burlap tree, yeah, you can you can spend a lot more than that. Yeah. So these growers are saying uh, anywhere between eleven percent more to twenty twenty five percent more you can expect to pay this year. So so keep that in mind. Last year the median tree. Sixty nine fifty for uh, for a real tree. I expected that's going to be um, more expensive. Speaking of median prices, uh, the median price of an artificial tree last year seventy bucks. Well, how about my favorite, the, the silver tree with oh, red Chris, red Christmas balls on it and a multicolored rotating disc. I remember my grandma had one of those when I was a little kid. I'm bringing them back. I, I'm going to have one this year. I'm we doing. We talked it. about it last year. I'm and doing. We it. actually heard from people, uh, <laughs> a number of Westsiders. Apparently, these were big on the West Side talking about. Love yes, it. we had those. We loved those. So keep in mind, with the supply chain issues, you are going to pay more uh, for the artificial trees this year, and also the supply chain issues. You may not be able to get them. So just keep that in mind. Plan ahead. Thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow. We're talking about the market's reaction to the Fed rate hike. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial here on 55KRC, the talk station.